Well, good morning. Hey, we are so glad that you guys are here to worship with us this morning and to dive into God's Word together this morning. My name's Will, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, uh, and it's an honor to be part of the team here at Grace. And uh, last week, we started a brand new sermon series called Real Life, Real Pain. And what we recognize about life is that often it is really hard and many times brings a lot of deep pain and hurt with it. And I deeply believe, as, as cheesy as it may sound, as much as it's a, a typical Sunday school answer, that we have the only answer that really satisfies, the only answer that really helps, that really gives hope in this world and in this life, and his name is Jesus. But sometimes, sometimes the church hasn't always been a safe place for people to bring their hurt and their pain that cuts the deepest. And I think sometimes the reasons for that, many, of, many times the reasons, reason for that is because we always seem to maybe be a cheerleader for Jesus. And while that's great, when we are really hurting, maybe in the midst of our darkest moments as we look back in our life when like it, it really hurts, the last thing you want is someone to show up and be like, yeah, Jesus! Because as true as you might know that to be in that moment, you're, you're angry, right? In that moment, you're hurt. In that moment, you want to cry out to God and be like, God, are you even there? Do you even hear me? Do you recognize me? Do you even see what I'm going through? Do you even care? And in that moment, it might just not be what you want to hear. And maybe you just want someone to sit down and be with you. I deeply believe that Jesus is the answer for much of what we experience in this world. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says to his disciples, I have said these things that you, that, to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I believe that Jesus and what he did on the cross has overcome every hurt and every pain that we experience. But I think there's also a reason that God stopped sending prophets in the way that he did in the Old Testament. The job and the role of a prophet, as we, we see it in Scripture, was to point to God and say, hey, here's the message that God has for you, and to point people back to God. And God said, yeah, this, this clearly is not working. And so it just instead of just sending people to say, hey, God, God said, okay, I'm going to come in the person of Jesus. And he came down, and he met physical needs, he met physical hurts, and he came to be with people to show up, up close and personal how much he loves and cares for each and every one of us. Many of these topics that we're talking about through this series are connected, and today we're going to tackle a couple big ones of depression and, and uh, suicide. Depression is something that most of us will experience at some point in our life. When we lose a spouse or a child, um, it's very common for a season of depression to set in for a little bit. You, you might have heard it referred to after you lose a, a close loved one as grief brain. That they advise no one to make any major life decisions for a full year after, after a loss because even a full year or longer, there, there's just this fog that can set in and be really, really hard to think clearly through. 
and it doesn't happen for everybody. I know for some that fog kind of starts to lift, you know, six months after losing a loved one, but for others, a year, year and a half, there is still this fog that it is hard to think clearly through. I hopped on Facebook yesterday evening and saw that a good friend of mine from college was feeding his four-month-old. She just stopped breathing. He started CPR and took her to the hospital, and um, later that evening, last night, they pronounced her dead. Um, and how does depression not set in after something like that? It's so common. We all, at some point in our life, are going to experience it. The struggle and the danger with depression is when it sets in and it doesn't clear up. For so many people, it may not even be triggered by, by an event like that, that there is just this fog, there is this darkness, there is this hopelessness that you've experienced for the last decade or longer. Many of you, some of you, I probably came into church today and put a smile on your face and were laughing and, and had a very positive attitude and deep inside that you're experiencing some deep depression. In 2021, 15 million people were diagnosed with depression in, in the States, went to a doctor and, and actually diagnosed with it, but many more experience it and don't get the help they need. You're not alone if you're in this place. In fact, King David was here. King David was here several times. There's several psalms that, that speak to and allude to his depression that he experienced. I think, I think Psalm 143 resonated pretty deeply. Psalm 143, 3 and 4 says, My enemy has chased me. He has knocked me to the ground and forces me to live in darkness like those in the grave. I am losing all hope. I am paralyzed with fear. Verse 7 says, Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I become, I be like those who go down to the pit. You're not alone. Sometimes it's as simple as, as just the physical chemical imbalances that happen in the brain that, that something is just need help. We, we live in a fallen and broken world, right? We recognize that if we break a bone, we have to go to a doctor. We, we need help that our, our, our bodies just, they're not perfect. We live in a fallen world. But there is this stigma around mental health, including depression, that we shy away from talking about it. But left untalked about, unrecognized, often depression can lead to suicide or thinking about suicide. Not everybody who experiences depression will, will go that direction, but, but the vast majority who, who attempt suicide mention depression as one of the things that, that took them there. There's a lot of factors that lead someone to, to depression. Sometimes it just is there. Sometimes it's a life event. There are a variety of reasons, but, but statistically speaking, there are many times that, that those who do not actually complete their suicide attempt uh, mentioned depression as one of the reasons why they went there. According to CDC research in 2021, 12.3 million people in America seriously considered suicide. 
Of those 12.3 million, 3.5 had a written plan of what they were going to do. And of those 3.5, 1.7 million actually attempted to take their own life. 50,000, almost 50,000 people in 2021 died by suicide. That's one every 11 minutes. That's far too many. A few weeks ago, we did a survey here at Grace, and we asked how many of you have seriously thought about it in the past, and 11% of you said that you had. Right, this isn't just something out there that, that other people are wrestling with and, and struggling with. Right? There, there are people in this space who have thought about it or maybe have even tried. My guess is that there are many of you who know someone who has taken their life. And it hits pretty close to home. Of the 50,000 nearly who died by suicide in 2021, uh, men outnumber women four to one. But of the 1.7 million who tried, women outnumber men three to one. There are, there are two age groups where suicide is the second leading cause of death, 20 to 34 and 10 to 14. This is why I wanted our students in here for this. Because if you think that your students aren't wrestling through this, they are. When I was a youth minister in Kentucky, there was uh, a suicide pact that was going around with um, some high schoolers in northern Kentucky. Six or seven signed the suicide pact that on the same day, around the same time, they were all going to take their own life together. High schoolers. This is something we got to start talking about. There's a common misconception that if we start talking about it, then maybe we'll put the thought in someone's mind. Maybe it'll encourage them to, to go forward with it. But there are actually studies that show that there's a significant decrease in suicide attempts if we're willing to ask the question, hey, um, are you talking about taking your own life? If someone says something that's like, you know, I'm not sure life is worth living, I'm not sure I want to continue in this world anymore, if we can recognize that, if we hear that and we ask the question, hey, wait a minute, are you, are you talking about suicide? There are studies that show there's a significant decrease in suicide attempts, right? This is not something to just stay quiet about and hope that it goes away. It's not. There's been a steady increase of suicide across the board nationwide since the year 2000. 2000 was the low point. Do you remember what really happened around the year 2000? What started becoming really popular around the year 2000? Social media. This is something we've got to talk about. And so I just want to mention a couple things about suicide in general real quick and then mention maybe what our response can be or should be as a church or as disciples of Christ. 
First thing I just want to say about suicide, and uh, as we as we dive into this in general, um, I had the the honor of participating in an, an eight-hour suicide awareness prevention course this this last week, and that eight hours was a condensed version of the 16-hour course that it typically is. Right. I have less than 20 minutes, according to this timer that Eric's going to keep me on track with up here. So we are barely scratching the surface here of what we should be talking about to do this topic justice. So. If you want to continue the conversation in any way for any reason, if you just even want to become more aware of what's going on, please come talk to me. Please, please come and we can, we can help get some more resources. One of the first things that they talked about um, is how for the, for the sake of the families who are survivors after losing someone to suicide, uh, we need to stop saying the word commit suicide. Uh, we, we commit a crime. We commit a homicide, we commit burglary, commit rape, right? There, the, we commit crimes. Suicide is not a crime. And so we talk about someone dying from suicide or taking their own life, but we don't want to talk about committing suicide. From a biblical perspective, we tend to put suicide, or we, we tend to have two categories. We have sin and we have not sin. And there is a common misconception that, that suicide is the unforgivable sin. And I think that's rooted in, in just kind of some, some poor theology. If I was pressed, I would have to put suicide in the, in the sin category. One of the Ten Commandments is to not commit murder. And I think that also extends to taking our own life. There is something valuable and precious in the created image that we are created in the image of God, in the, the lifeblood that throws, flows through our bodies just like everyone else, that, that it is not good to take your own life. But this idea that it's unforgivable is, is just not true. Matthew chapter 21, Jesus mentions the unforgivable sin. He says, therefore, I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. So there is something that is not forgivable, but it's not taking your own life. It's blasphemy of the Spirit. What, what is that? Most understand that to be denying Christ not recognizing Christ's sacrifice on the cross as payment for my sin also. And so as Romans talks about the, 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 the punishment for sin is death, if Jesus doesn't pay that for me, then, then I bear that on my own. And that is the unforgivable sin. This idea that suicide is unforgivable is rooted in this idea that I must confess my sins in order to receive forgiveness. Now, confession is super, super important. I don't want to take anything away from that. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Right? Confession is super important. I don't think we emphasize confession enough in our own personal lives, as a church, as a, as a church culture in America. I don't, I don't think we emphasize confession enough. But forgiveness is not dependent on me asking for it. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. That is the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Forgiveness happened because of what Christ did on the cross through his death and resurrection. And praise God that forgiveness is not dependent on me asking for it. 
I'll throw myself under the bus this morning. Do you know how many times I think thoughts that are sinful or I have sinful motivations in my heart and I don't even recognize it? How many thoughts go through my mind that are prideful or lustful or envious or jealous? How many thoughts that are not holy? And if it's not holy, that must mean it is sinful, right? If it's not sin, then it is sin. And I don't even recognize it. So praise God that forgiveness for those thoughts are not dependent on me asking for it. And I won't even ask anybody this morning to raise your hand if you've asked for forgiveness so far today, let alone yesterday or the day before. It's not something that we practice. I listened to a podcast this past week of, of a lady who lost her mom to suicide. She wrestled with this for a really long time. Her mom was a, was a faithful believer, pastor's wife, and really loved God deeply. And her comment about this was that she said, I don't believe God called my mom home, but I believe that he welcomed her. Suicide is not God's plan, period, ever. But it's not going to keep us from the warm embrace of his love when we see him. There's a lot sometimes that is captured under this suicide title. And often it brings with it a lot of assumptions, baggage, extra stuff with it. And we need to be aware of that and cautious when we hear that someone has died by suicide. I had a, a student in my youth group when I was in Kentucky who died from a gun accident. And the police ruled it a suicide. But the family was beyond convinced that he wanted to live, that he had no intentions of taking his own life. But it didn't take long in a small town before rumors started spreading. And it really hurt the family. There's a lot that comes with this topic. And so many times, so many times I've heard people say, well, it's just selfish. It's just selfish to be so focused on your problems and, and not realizing what it's going to do to other people around you. But to live in this place of such deep depression where there is this fog that has never left, where there's this darkness that doesn't seem like there's any end to it, in this pit that you can't even see the top of it. What happens so many times is, is that people are just so zeroed in on this one aspect, these two aspects, these, these things that are happening in their life that are so hard. And they get tunnel vision. And you understand what this is like, right? You've been looking into the fridge when your spouse has come around the corner and been like, hey, what you doing? And you don't even hear what they say, right? You've been in the zone so intensely that your kids have called your name three, four, five times, and you don't even hear what they're saying because your mind is just somewhere else. And even for those who are able to put on a smile and a good face and make you laugh and, and, and smile and laugh themselves, They are so focused on the hurt and the pain that is so overwhelming that there's an inability to understand that their pain that they're experiencing is about to be shared on the shoulders of people around them that they care about and they love deeply if they go through with this. 
and I'm not excusing it whatsoever. But there is a level of understanding that I hope that we can develop as Christians to have compassion for the individuals and the families who are experiencing something so hard. There's a lot of theories as far as what goes into suicide and, and the components of it, and none of them are substantially verified through any kind of statistics or research or anything like that, though people have tried for a long time. But there's one study that I keep finding myself being drawn back to that for me helps put it in, in context and helps me understand a little bit more. It's a framework to at least for me to understand what's, what's going on and, and gives me maybe some, something to, to do and a, and a way to respond. It's called the Interpersonal Psychological Theory of Suicide. There will be a test later. You need to remember that. The Interpersonal Psychological Theory of Suicide. And it states that there are three components that goes in to someone deciding to actually take that step to write a plan and attempt to take their own life. And the first one is simply the ability to do so. The ability to do so. It is not an easy thing to fight back against everything your body naturally wants to do to actually pull the trigger or to take your own life. And there's nothing that we can do about it. People either have this ability or they don't. And, and they find themselves battling against themselves where the mind says, yes, we got to do this. And the body says, no, we're, we're fighting for self-preservation. And it is hard. It is really hard, but there's nothing I can do about it. People either have that ability or they don't. The second piece of it, the second leg, the second aspect, is a perceived sense of burdensomeness. A perceived sense of burdensomeness. That people feel like they're a burden to their family, to their friends, to people around them. People feel as though they're a burden. And there's a little bit that we can do about this, right? Have you ever showed up to help someone move and it's just clear that you'd rather be out on the lake fishing than helping someone move? Nothing is worse than getting a call from somebody saying, hey, I have a pool table I want to get moved, right? You don't want to get that call. But we can still show up with a smile on our face. We can still show up with actual deep joy within our soul, knowing that we get to help a friend of ours, whatever it may be. And while there are things that we can do to help limit this, one thing that the, the theory states is, is at the end of the day, it's the perception. And there's very little next to nothing I can do to convince you you're not a burden when you think you're a burden. When you perceive that you're a burden, I could tell you till I'm blue in the face that you're not, that I thoroughly enjoy being around you, that I love you, I, I care for you deeply. I can do everything possible, but if you still perceive that, if you've told yourself this lie and you've believed this lie for so long, there's, there's nothing I can do. But this third component, this third component of, of what often goes in to someone taking their own life is lacking a sense of belonging. And this one, we as a church can do something about. God's chosen vehicle to bring people to him, I deeply believe is the local church, the bride of Christ. 
and he designed this church, the idea of church, in such a way where, where you can be known, where you can have community, where you can find belonging. He designed this in such a way where, where you can find a place to call home, to be known and loved for who you are. So many pastors I've heard say, we don't want a church where everyone knows everyone, but where everyone is known. And if you look around this place right now, we're not a terribly large church, right? If you look around, I guarantee you there's a small handful of people you don't even know their name. And I guarantee you there's a large handful of people that you know their name. You might even know a fact about them or two, but you don't know them. You can't. There are too many people in here to actually know everyone. There's a lot of pastors I know who talk about how lonely ministry is. You guys think you know me, but I choose what I share with you every single week. I choose the stories from our lives that I want to share with you. Some good, some bad. But you don't know me. Not unless you're around our table on a regular basis or we connect on a regular basis. Most of you don't, and that, that's okay. I don't expect all of you to. But a lot of you are part of a group where you're known. A lot of you are part of a life group, and we're going to emphasize life groups even more in the months to come because they are so important for, for building that community, for building that connection, that sense of belonging, that, that there is a place that you can call home where people know you. This is what Jesus did. This is what Jesus did when he came here from the very beginning of his ministry. John chapter 1, verse 43, it says, The next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Over and over and over again through Jesus' ministry, people followed him, crowds came. And many came and said, Jesus, we want to follow you. Jesus, we want to be one of your disciples. Jesus, we, we want to be with you. And over and over again, he, he said, hey, you, you need to know what you're committing to. D don't, you, don't go home and, and say goodbye to your family. Go, go sell everything you have because when you follow me, you don't, you don't need stuff. You don't need attachment to things. But then it always came with an invitation. Come follow me. Come follow me. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, all about how we all have been given gifts by the Spirit. We're to use those gifts for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. All throughout Scripture uses this idea of a family to describe what should happen in this place. And even in this space right now, there's a few more people than what a typical family has, and it's hard to find a sense of belonging and home from a group this size. But regardless of where you are right now, regardless of what you're going through, I promise you that there are people in this church who would love to be a part of your family, 
to be a place where you can call home, to give you that sense of belonging in church if we can do that for people. A major reason why people try to take their own life would be gone. I'd like to make a couple asks of you this morning. First, if everyone could take out their phone, there's a slide at the end here um, that we're just going to show of the suicide prevention hotline. If everyone could take out their phone, put this as a, as a contact in your phone. That way, if anybody needs it in this moment, you're not going to be the only one. You're not going to be singled out by putting this in your phone. So everybody, everybody, please pull out your phone, put it in there. Also, you never know who you're going to be around and in conversation with where somebody might need it. And they kind of, they, they changed this not too terribly long ago, in the last year or two, and they tried to make it more simple across the board nationwide instead of uh, 911 for an emergency, 988. But you might not in the moment remember it's 988, so put it as a contact in your phone. If you would rather chat with somebody rather than talk to somebody, 988lifeline.org, there's an option to chat with somebody anytime, day or night, 24-7. You are not alone. While you have your phone out, if you want my number, if you want to connect with me, I would love nothing more than to be able to help and to walk with you or find someone to help walk with you through, through this season of depression or thinking about taking your own life. My number is 804-929-4182. Call me. Text me. We care about you. We do. And I deeply believe more than anything that as hard as it is, as it is for you to see that, that because of the cross and what Christ went through on the cross through his death and resurrection, that there is hope. And it might be really hard for you to see right now. You might think I'm a liar or I'm just saying this because this is what we're supposed to say on Sunday mornings. It might not even register for you if you were in this place right now. But I promise you that there is hope. I promise you that there is healing, that there is life, that there is a time and a place where you can enjoy life in a way that you have not in a really long time. I promise you that there are people around you who care about you and who deeply love you. And so we're going to keep talking about this because it's too important not to. Father God, we are so grateful for your love displayed on the cross. And God, honestly, sometimes it is just hard. There seems to be a disconnect sometimes because you seem so far away. It seems like you're just so far from here. But God, we're so thankful for the people that you've put in our life that can reflect your love, that can be your hands and feet, that can show us and display your love to us in the moments where life is just hard. So God, we praise you. We worship you. God, we pray for wisdom to recognize when someone might be thinking about taking their own life, when someone might be in a place of depression. 
God, I pray that we will have the words to say, that we can ask about it. Because it's important. And you care about us all so very much. Lord, we love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. That third reason why so many people feel like taking their own life is the answer because they don't have a sense of belonging is exactly the reason why Christ came to this world. Right, right. Christ knows us better than we know ourselves, and it doesn't matter whether you call on his name or not. He created each and every person in this world. He knows everyone better than they know themselves, but he wants us to know him, and he wanted to provide a way for us to belong to his family, to belong to him, to find hope and healing and life in him, where it ultimately comes from, and so he went to the cross and he died only to come back to life and to show us that, that there is hope, there is life, and to give us a family to belong to. That's why we refer to God as our Father, each other in this room as brothers and sisters. Scripture refers to, to Christ as a brother, and a, we are co-heirs of heaven with Jesus. So we're going to pause in this moment to take communion as a church family, and I just want to invite you to do a couple things in this moment. First, give thanks for what Christ did on the cross through his death and resurrection. And second, I want you to ask God for eyes to see when people around us are hurting for eyes to see past the smiles and the laugh to what's going on inside, for ears to hear cries for help when they come. There's going to be people from our prayer team around, and I'm actually going to stand in the back. If you want to go use the bathroom during this time, or if you want to talk to somebody about what's happening right here and now, come find me back there. During this time, during the next song, come find me, and let's talk. Father God, we are so grateful for your love that extends far beyond any sin, far beyond our own anger, our own lack of understanding. God, we're grateful for your love and your presence that never leaves us. We pray in this moment as we reflect that you remind us of how much you love us. And we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear. In the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.